0: We are back with another podcast and today I am so excited to announce that one of the first women that I really connected with here in Miami is here in front of me. Her name is Jill Rose. Jill, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh, I'm so excited that you're here. And um, wow, the minute I met you, I just felt like we connected. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, on so many levels. And usually when you connect with someone, it's because you are shining your light and being your authentic self. And... So ironically, we are going to be doing a podcast today on when we dim that light and are not our authentic selves, AKA eating disorders, which ironically, uh, Jill and I had a, like a art day, like a Sunday ago, and we started talking about it. And I asked Jill if after, after connecting over eating disorders, if she would be open to sharing her story and her journey on my podcast so thank you jill for being open
1: of course i feel like i'm ready to share some at least some of my story um for the first time really ever with
0: an audience, so to speak. Wow. That's super powerful. So before we do that, um, Jill and I actually did a little meditation before jumping on and she started leading us through something and I was like, hold on, hold on. We need to start the podcast and do this with the listeners because it was so powerful. So Jill, if you don't mind, I'll hand it over to you.
1: Sure. Um, So I learned this actually from an animal communicator. Um, This is how I clear my chakra energy in the morning. Um, Basically, you just visualize your chakras as lights, colored lights within your body. And starting with your root chakra, you picture yourself just cleaning it off by spinning it counterclockwise at first. I like to almost picture it like a little car wash, uh, Mm. soap, sparkly water. Spin (laughs) it counterclockwise to clear it off and then you spin it in your mind clockwise and allow the colored light to glow. So we can start with the root chakra and spin that to allow a bright red light to emit. And then we clear off our sacral chakra and allow bright orange light to emit. And then our solar chakra and allow the bright yellow light to shine like the sun. Then we move higher into our heart chakra, which uh, you can picture either with a pink light or a bright green light, or both. I like to picture the green light, like nature. Um, mm. So we'll spin that bright green light coming out of our heart chakra. And then we'll move up to the higher chakras, which I felt were especially important for um, having a conversation where we have to go deep like this. So we're gonna clear out our throat chakra and emit the bright blue light on our throat went up into our third eye chakra, indigo light spreading out, and finally our crown chakra on the very tops of our heads, emitting a bright violet light on our top of our heads.
0: that was fucking beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jill. You are such a light worker, you're such a strong human, and um. Wow, I'm just so honored to be sharing this moment with you, sharing this meditation. I'm so happy that my listeners get to meet you because... Nothing makes me happier than creating empower or not creating that too, but connecting empowered women. And I believe that there's obviously the connection that happens in person, but since we're living in a time where we can't always have that in-person connection, this third dimensional connection, whether it be social media or podcasts is so critical to feeling open, feeling close, feeling like we're not alone and i think the the fact that we are here today is because we felt this sense of connection from being open and that's the very topic that we're going to go into today Mm -hmm. is is um you know what happens when you shut off that openness and that authenticity and your voice what happens to you and for me and jill we both developed eating disorders and So I'm going to start off just by kind of telling the audience what I believe happened to me personally when I went through my eating disorder. Um, I, I truly believe that the more... Authentic you can be the happier you will feel and the more connection will attract into your life because when you are Your authentic self you actually become a human magnet, right? If we look at the universe and the way it works, it works in ways of frequency And so you the frequency that you are is the frequency that you will attract And so if you are giving off love and openness, you're probably going to attract love and openness into your life and that's just an example. You, you attract pretty much anything that you put out. And so eating disor- disorders happen to people who feel like no matter how much they tried to do something, it never worked. Would you agree on that, Jill? <laughs> that, that was my personal experience. I'd love to hear yours.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, that definitely resonates with me. Um, I actually learned only very recently that... Um, an eating disorder is often a sign that the root chakra was broken at a young age. Um, I'm still mm. trying to understand better what exactly it means to have your chakra broken, um, but in hindsight, I can't tell you how much reading that statement on like a little chakra chart, it just, it struck me like a guitar string. I was like, whoa, that makes a lot of sense, because when I was six years old, I I underwent trauma, and it's very hard for a six-year-old to process grief. I won't, I'd rather not get into the full story of what happened, but I was, Mm. as a six-year-old going into first grade, grieving. And that set me apart from the other children just inherently. I mean, what other six-year-old is going through that, you know? Mm. And the thing is, that didn't catch up to me really until I was a teenager. Um, Because the trauma basically made me petrified of change, and it made me petrified of losing people that I loved. Mm. Um, So my eating disorder basically started when I was 13, but almost 14. I was literally like 13 years and 11 months probably. Um, And what I've come to realize is that an eating disorder, it's it's almost like a a narrator that takes footing inside your head and it, it just, it tells you how to live but it it abuses you. It's, it's like Mm. an abusive relationship between your mind and your body, and it finds its roots in a lack of Mm self-love, and an eating disorder will only come to fill a vacuum. Like, it it can't come into a person who's whole. That's why I Mm.
0: came to realize. Wow, that's so powerful. I had a similar experience, Jill. Um, You touched on so many good things, and I I think that, like, that feeling of separation, right, obviously we know that separation is an illusion, like, not feeling connected to the kids Mm -hmm. in sixth grade, like, I felt the same way whenever I was homeschooled for most of my life, and then went into public school, uh, well, private school first, and then public school, and all of a sudden I felt this this need to assimilate and be liked in a way that I'd never felt before. I didn't have to feel it earlier because I didn't have to, that that thought never crossed my mind because I was an only child. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I hung out with a few select group of friends because my parents were very selective about who I could hang out with. So again, I was surrounded with control. Control felt safe. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I really, when, when we're, when we're experiencing the feeling of separation, it's because, if because you're doing anything like you're really just doing everything as your authentic self and that isn't producing a positive outcome and then when that positive outcome doesn't happen you close off and you want to change the parts of yourself that aren't attracting like that love that you want like for me i showed up on the school bus in in my ninth grade year and I waved to all the kids and I was expecting them to wave back and be like, Hey, and they all just looked at me and laughed and made fun of me. And so I immediately was like, Oh my God, I'm too forward. I'm too much for people. Right. That was ingrained at such an early age, too big, right? Mm -hmm. This, this concept of energetically being too big. And when you feel that way, it creates A dysmorphia in your soul, which Mm -hmm. then I believe translates into a dysmorphia in your body.
1: Oh yeah, because I definitely like the feeling of just wanting to be so small that I could disappear. And it was because I was so desperate to feel liked and accepted that I shrank myself physically, you know, to nothing. Like that was the idea. If if I'm small enough, no one will want to pick on me. I'll go unnoticed. I can just, you know, because this was something, like I said, it started when I was 13 and I was in 8th grade at the time. But it carried me all the way through graduation of high school. Yeah. And for me, I think, um, what made me feel like I didn't fit in or connect anymore was because, you know, when you're 13, 12, 13, 14, as a girl, it's like you start noticing how everybody else dresses and how everybody else's, all the girls' bodies are changing. And like I said, I had a terrible fear of change. So yeah. when, when I was told my body was going to change and that I was going to, you know, have to experience menstruation, all this stuff, it frightened me. And I, wanted no part of it yeah the other thing was that um my closest friends were all very overweight Mm. I was very very quote-unquote normal size like according to all growth charts I was I'm only five foot foot two and um I've always been pretty small naturally but i would hear other more popular girls making fun of my friends but i automatically assumed i was lumped in with that and it made me suddenly start thinking i'm overweight i need to lose weight to look like the girls who are popular who are starting to develop faster than i am were, mm-hmm. you know starting to have a figure whereas i you know didn't really yet i was just still like i had a child's body and i dressed it in clothes that still had kittens on them things like that mm-hmm. so yeah. you know it was like i wanted to change the way i dressed i wanted to change way my body looked um but I went about that in a very bad
0: way (laughs) wow wow yeah I resonate so much with that because like no matter how much you try to shape yourself to to please and avoid criticism it never really feels like it works and I feel like that's something I was always constantly doing as a child like shaping myself to please my parents and then no matter how hard like I tried to manipulate the situation to feel safe. It never worked. So no matter how much I tried to get the things that I wanted in my life, I couldn't make it happen. Mm-hmm. And that's when this desire to control took over. And my desires were totally at the mercy of an adult for the majority of my my life because, you know, as a, as a child, that's just naturally is what happens. And then finally, when you go into adolescence and you have the freedom you know, for the first time ever, I had freedom in college. And that's whenever I was like, okay, I'm going to turn over a new chapter and I'm going to be the best version of myself I can ever be. But instead of doing the inward work, I was like, let's work on the body, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> and it was just like, oh my God, I was addicted to like the green tea tablets and the over excessive exercise. And because I was like, okay, I've got one shot of this college thing, and I don't want to replay the same thing that happened in high school when mm-hmm. I joined and got on the bus, like, let's not repeat that trauma, because my body's already done that, been there, did that, said, no, 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 that is not a place for you to be. So let's make sure that you're going to be the coolest, most popular, most beautiful, most actualized person that you know, you can be in your 18 year old self. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was controlling what I ate. Mm -hmm. And it it felt great to be in control of something for the first time, because for so long, I'd felt like I couldn't control things, particularly my diabetes. Mm -hmm. And so i i've I've talked to a few other people who have either autoimmune diseases or another type of disease they naturally have this instinct to want to control and often those diseases um will like evolve into eating disorder because you're trying so badly to get your body to work for you right Mm. get it to work and it's not working and so you're like okay well fucking my body doesn't work like fuck my body i'm gonna i'm gonna be brutal to you, right? I'm not gonna treat you right. I'm going to withhold from you because you're withholding from me. You're not giving me the care that I need. And so I remember it like like yesterday, just being in college and, and having, having people say like, "Allie, you work out a lot. Like you can totally eat that. And I just remember telling myself, no, I can't. I need to control. I need to belong. Mm -hmm. I need to belong. And this is how I was going to do it in my head.
1: Yeah. And same. It was, I I can't even really remember what prompted me exactly to decide like, hey, I'm just going to start losing some weight. Um, I think it was a combination of things for me because like I said, I saw girls who were more popular and more confident and they tended to have like larger breasts than I did or they were slimmer or they were just in some way better able to deal with the changes that their bodies were undergoing, whereas in my case, like, I didn't exactly have a ton of muscle tone. I didn't I wasn't overweight. Like I said, I was very normal sized, but I was like, Mm -hmm. maybe if I lose weight then I'll start to look a little more sculpted or I'll have more of a waist because my hip bones will stick out. And that kind of is what started happening. And like because I was short, it didn't take many pounds in the beginning. Like I, I think I lost five pounds just because I started you know not snacking and not like i would tell my parents like oh i'm too full for dessert tonight or i'd give away my cookies at lunchtime or something like it was very subtle things but the thing was like you said you become a magnet and people start saying oh like you're you look a little thinner you're losing weight and i actually gained some of that confidence that i wanted because i was taking all this as compliments yeah and as luck would have it i got the lead in the school play that spring so all of a sudden i had people you know, who weren't friends with me before, and suddenly they're friends with me now, and I was gaining this popularity, and I was like, ooh, I can, like, lose a few more pounds, and, mm. and the thing was, maybe in the beginning it wasn't so much a dangerous thing, because, you know, it wasn't like I was looking skeletal, it was actually making me get a confidence boost, but then, when I got into ninth grade, Everything from middle school went out the window. I mean everything resets when you go to a new school and yeah. everybody has a new dynamic and it Took real root in fear at that point and I would weigh myself every single day before school I would get up and I would strip naked so that I wouldn't be weighing my pajamas or anything And I would make sure that like that number stayed at a certain point point. Um. And if it was if I was even like half a pound because my parents had an old-fashioned upright scale believe it or not It was a doctor's <laughs> scale and it went oh, by the God. quarter pound and if those sliders were not where I wanted them, I would skip meals, I would do extra exercise, um, and forget it, like, in the state of New Jersey, which is where I grew up, gym class was an everyday thing for all four years of high school, and I mm. learned how to lift weights, and I started doing things, you know, in the weight room to really burn calories and be able to gain even more control through exercise. Yeah. So, um, and I should specify for our audience, I I did not have full-blown anorexia. I was never hospitalized. I never looked that bad with it. It was more about sustaining a certain number on the scale and retaining a certain poundage, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really go further down than a certain point. It was really about maintaining that exact number. And I did that for like five years. Mm -hmm. So, I also gained a little bit of height um, because in middle school I was like maybe five foot even and then by high school I was five two. So that also made me look a little bit thinner. Mm-hmm. But I would do anything I could to just make sure that that number stayed right there on that scale. And if it didn't, it would ruin my day and I would do everything I could to make sure that by the next day, it was back where I wanted it. Mm, wow. I mean, just saying this out loud is like, I can't believe I did that to myself. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I mean. I think what's so important to recognize, first of all, thank you for sharing that because it's so vulnerable, but I think what's happening on the inside when we're going through this eating disorder, and I've shared a little bit about it in my podcast previously to my audience, so I don't want to you know, go into my story as much. I want to kind of go towards what's happening on the inside. So if you're dependent on someone for external validation and those people don't have your best interest at heart the best idea is to train yourself to not need them as much as possible I, I really believe that that's what happened to me and if you need like a specific energy whoever gives you that energy is in control and the only way to get back control is to willingly starve i i felt because I, I was looking when my eating disorder really got the worst was after my parents' divorce and I was just so heartbroken and I couldn't understand how like our family had just crumbled. And when our family crumbled, I crumbled and I felt like depriving myself of other forms of energy. Cause food's just energy mm-hmm. was like a way of, I don't know, like like a way of making room for something that was lacking. Like I, I was like, okay, if I if I make my body smaller energetically and I don't have this food inside me, then maybe I can fill myself up with something else that's gonna take the pain away. Mm-hmm. Essentially. And like, I, I really believe eating disorders progress. They start off so small. They could start off as a comment or they could start off as like a, a small trauma that as a child is is very large. Like you said, like a root, ch- or a root chakra is, I shouldn't say small cause it's a large trauma happening, but it, it starts off as this, like this just, oh shit. Like this, something's wrong. I don't want to feel this anymore. So let's, let's control everything in our life up until this point that's gonna help us feel safe. And by doing that, let's not be our full selves. And for a person with anorexia, they, I, I felt so out of control that I gravitated towards control, controlling whatever I could. Honestly, like after my parents divorced, I was like, wow, I couldn't control that happening. Couldn't control my family like breaking down. Can't control my diabetes. Or really can't control what's happening at work like fuck <laughs> i i i the one thing that i can control is my body and it's ironic because so many people who are anorexic feel out of control physically as children mm-hmm. and i think the reason that for this is that they think that by being more attractive or by controlling what they eat or how much they eat that their body is is going to like be that they're going to be happier right like their their body is going to give them something that it hasn't in the past and um I feel like I'm just off on a tangent now but I think for for me like being in control was the way of mitigating the pain of just life experiences and the feelings of being a failure and the low self-esteem and the anxiety and the depression and and it, and it was a huge method of coping for me and it's definitely a behavioral addiction mm-hmm. um it has to be treated like an addiction you have to accept that like any addiction it's an attempt to escape from the pain that addiction is serving to mitigate and that's i think that's where a lot of us struggle because eating like disordered eating is part of the american system right mm-hmm. yeah. it's 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 beca- it's become so normalized
1: yeah and I, I've read that we actually, um, I forget where I read this, but there was an analogy made that we're literally in a bulimic society. Yeah. There's such a push and pull, um, the, and it's its almost like the diseases that, that because I, I agree, this is, the like, eating disorder is definitely um, emotional. It's like the, the effects are physical, but they're emotional and they go very hand in hand with depression and anxiety um which i dealt with as well yeah um that's where they find their footing yeah <laughs> but it's like yeah it's definitely a reflection of of the times i mean yeah you never really heard about this kind of thing in past decades and it's becoming you know i don't think they're going away it's becoming more prevalent if anything yeah. unfortunately yeah because you have these extreme um you know the, the obesity population is going up, and yet you have this extreme, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, you have girls who are turning to anorexia and bulimia and EDNOS, which is eating disorders not otherwise mm-hmm. specified. Um, and it's almost like a reflection of, of that,
0: mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like... How do you feel like like you can bring self-love to yourself if you're operating in self-hate? Oh, gosh. Um,
1: (laughs) I'm not sure how I would answer that one because it's definitely something that I I didn't find for a very, very, very long time. Um,
0: Okay,
1: yeah. And, in fact, the the tendencies I had with my eating actually faded and gave way more to just clinical depression and extreme anxiety. Uh, It's almost like one thing morphed into another. Um, But I never actually... Filled that void until many years later, um, mm. when I became self-aware enough to realize that I'm in the driver's seat of my own life. Yeah. And I had always felt like life was happening at me. Yeah. And it took, a, like I said, it took many more years after the 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 Ed Note's kind of faded on its own and gave way to that clinical depression, and led to sort of an epiphany when I was 22. Yeah. And that's when I really was like, okay, like if I don't take charge of my own life and that not just what I eat or my body, like if I don't take charge of my own mind and my own health and my own well-being, no one else is going to do that for me. Yeah. And that was literally the turning point of when I realized like I had to start learning to love myself from that point forward because I didn't realize until that point that I didn't love myself, right. and that's entirely what caused
0: all the problems to begin with. <laughs> Wow, that's that's so powerful and 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 like you said, you are finally like, okay, I'm going to take a driver's seat in my life. Like I'm I'm done. Like the way this is working, this is obviously isn't working out for me, so something's got to change.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um that's so beautiful that you recognize that. For me, it was similar but also different. Like you got yourself out of it. I recognized that I couldn't get myself out of it. I checked myself into rehab because I literally thought I was going to die. Like I was going to the hospital because the eating disorder that I had among many, it was like, I was starving myself. I wasn't giving myself proper nutrition. I was overexercising, but I also had diabulimia, which is when diabetics don't give themselves the appropriate amount of insulin in order to lose weight. And it's incredibly dangerous. It's fatal actually. And so I ended up in the hospital multiple times, in the ICU. And I was like, I can't keep living this like this. I'm literally going to kill myself. And I had that recognition when I was laying in a hospital bed and I realized that I needed help and that I couldn't do it on my own. And so I checked myself into rehab and I realized that at that moment that I was completely giving control of my life over to someone else by taking control of my life. So it was kind of like an oxymoron in a sense, but letting go of the control and rehab was the hardest piece for me because like addiction is about aloneness and when you're when you're letting go of control you feel i think like the way i controlled things to feel safe was that i put myself in situations where i was around people all the time so that I wouldn't have to feel alone and when I went to rehab they took away my phone they took away my laptop they had me spend a lot of time in isolation but also with like a certain amount of people that like small groups of people that I didn't necessarily feel connected with because it was all these other people feeling disconnected Mm -hmm. so it felt so lonely going to rehab was the loneliest I've ever felt in my entire life and when we feel alone, we don't feel like people see or hear or understand us. And that means that you're alone even when you're around them and you really like need closeness with people. I believe that is what makes you feel loved and what allows you to like be the loving vibration that you are. I think relationships is the most important thing in life. And so going to rehab, having all my relationships stripped away, all of my familiarity, and just losing the control for me is what like saved me because it was like discovering my narrative and demolishing it essentially in order to discover your narrative you kind of have to strip it all away and get really uncomfortable yeah
1: yeah and it's incidentally um what happened in my case was as I said the the anorexic tendencies kind of faded because I once I was out of high school and in college the whole situation changed. I was no longer around the same type of people anymore. Okay. Um, but like I said, what happened was depression really took hold instead. Yeah. So it was going from one emotionally addictive tendency to another. Mm. Um, so even though I was eating a little more normally and I wasn't weighing myself every day anymore, um, what ended up happening is that I latched on to a, a young man. Yeah. Who was very bad for me, um, because it was like I was seeking out love from another person that yeah. I wasn't giving to myself. Um Wow. And I'm not sure even looking back why I so desperately wanted that kind of validation and love from a guy, because I was very loved by my parents and I had good friends, um, but I still like was there was some void that I was still trying to fill and I was, you know, desperate to do it, even if that person wasn't good for me. Mm. And um, what happened was eventually I, the the relationship blew apart spectacularly. Um, (laughs) Shortly after that happened is when I landed in the hospital because of the depression. But I can definitely relate to that feeling of being, like basically I was given a choice. They said, you can check yourself in for treatment and that gives you the freedom to leave at your leisure Mm -hmm. or we can hold you and then you don't get the freedom to go out whenever you want to what an ultimatum oh yeah so i mean thank goodness i had the world with all to say okay like i'll sign myself up uh-huh. <laughs> sign me up um <laughs> but it, i had that a, a very parallel experience where like i felt so stripped down by what was happening i was like wow like how how did I end up here? Mm-hmm. And when you look at life backwards, sometimes it makes a lot more sense than when you're leading forward into it. But it mm. taught me to be... It's when I started to actually be present with myself and to take stock of, well, this is where I am now. Mm. And, you know just being raw in front of everybody else there and to look around and be like, oh my God, like there are other broken people and suddenly I'm in a sea of them. And and even that by itself was just, it made me feel like, okay, like I'm not as alone in this horrible black void of feelings as I think because there's other people who are here for the same or worse reasons than I am. And that's what pushed me like you said, to start the narrative over almost, like, and really, you you put it beautifully and now I can't re-articulate it, so I apologize, no. but it's, I definitely, everything that you said, as far as you going to rehab as well, it's, I relate to that from the experience that I had. It just was that depression is what eventually got me to where I needed to be to um, to start that journey over, basically.
0: Wow. And, and I love that you found that community in, you found love essentially in a hopeless place in yes. rehab. And honestly, now that I think back, I remember being really lonely in the beginning stages, but thanks for reminding me like how much community I did feel and knowing that I wasn't alone. And I think you touched on something that's so important and that was like changing the story about yourself because mm-hmm. you're essentially a living in an alternate reality when you have an eating disorder. You're telling yourself a story that you're damaged goods, Mm -hmm. which is completely false. And you have a false story about yourself. And that story has many sides to it and many negative things. It takes years for that story to build up. Right. So it also takes years to break it down. And it's a daily process. And like the negative self story, it's like a polarized view of self that kind of comes from parts that adopted a negative self-image, I believe, to, to protect oneself. Because um, I went to a Teal Swan conference on Sunday and she said self-sabotage isn't, it doesn't exist. We only do things in order to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you wanted the school the role in the school play oh and you just happened to be starving yourself at the same time and you got this role like positive affirmation let's mm-hmm. keep building on it like our brains are so smart and so part of us both going to rehab was reprogramming the pathways in our brain, which again, rehab starts it and then they send you off and then the rest is integration. The rest is life. Yeah. And every single day is integration. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a shock to the system that's sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some ways that I integrate to help the listeners. Um, hmm. I think, I think I just remember a pivotal part of like not seeing myself clearly. And so I had to, what it felt like was I was lying to myself. I had to look in the mirror and say, you were beautiful every day. That was one of the exercises I had to do in rehab. And I would cry because I didn't feel beautiful. And I'm like, I'm lying to myself. But what was really the case was that I'd been lying to myself for so many years that the truth felt foreign to me. And so it felt like a lie. Mm -hmm. And so as I said, every day, you're getting beautiful, You're, 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 you're beautiful. Every single day, it was very gradual, but it it slowly started to change. They did not give me any emotional tools. Um, Wow.
1: They gave me drugs. They gave me antidepressants, and basically, I was told, you're going to take these here for a few days, and if you have no side effects, we'll start talking about releasing you. And... um, Basically, that's that's what happened. It was like I after six days um, I was sent back out into the world after just being in psychiatric treatment, which Let's be honest like if you're sent to psychiatric treatment in a hospital They really just want to give you drugs and get you on your way and they'll put you in a state mandated program And so that's what I was told They said you have to go to this location and line yourself up with a state certified therapist Mm -hmm. That was the tool I was given go see a therapist and um, the first therapist I saw was kind of useless, and thankfully, the second one that I, that I took up with was much more useful. She actually was the one who started giving me tools to reintegrate um, yeah. into just you know being able to live a life that I actually loved and enjoyed, um, and so, it, it took a lot of time. Um, I believe I worked with her... I want to say six years. Um, I, I, it became a less frequent thing as time went on, but she would, she called it using my resources, which was, uh, to actually tell people how I was feeling. That was her biggest focus was like, you have to tell people what's on your mind and in your heart. You can't keep silencing yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, I think the biggest thing was using your resources to me meant, being honest about how I feel, and not just allowing myself to feel, but allowing myself to have those emotions go into the world, and not to feel guilty for them,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: not to have them repressed or um, modified, because sometimes, you know, people don't want to believe what you're feeling, and they'll yeah. codify it to their specification, and be like, no, like, you should feel this way, and it doesn't work, you know? No, it's gaslighting. Yes, exactly, um, which was something I went through in that relationship that I mentioned before was I was constantly being gaslit. So mm. learning how to validate myself and surround myself with people who would help support that effort, that was a journey.
0: Yeah. So. Wow, you articulated that so well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um and I, I think, you know, giving like Giving your body, you know that that love and healing your relationship with your body is is a journey because you behave towards your own body like the adults in your childhood behave towards you. Mm-hmm. I believe that, and you're in control of it having, you know, your best interests or hard or not. And so, when you disconnect from your body, um, doing integration work with your body I think is really really important and so something that I focused on when I got out of rehab was doing things that were in my body and to this day it's still crucial for me like I've been doing these movement classes recently in Miami and they're amazing because I'm so in my body anything like but it but not in a way where I'm like it. it's like I'm here I'm in it I'm loving it and whatever I'm doing is for my body and it's as a connective thing it's not like oh I'm disconnected from my body and I'm going to work my body into the ground to get to where I want to be mm-hmm. emotionally right you I'm not abusing it anymore and so developing a positive relationship with food I think for me was the second piece that helped me integrate um I think negative food relationship is a huge part of anorexia for many people um, and for me i had so so many ideas of like what foods were good and what foods were bad and in rehab every single food was good again i had to instead of looking at things as good and bad choices i had to eat everything mm-hmm. and look at everything as nourishing and be grateful for everything and intuitively eat everything and it was it was so painful for someone with an eating disorder to be like, I'm like, I'm in rehab. Why aren't they giving me healthy foods? Like they're sitting me in front of a bowl of ice cream and making me look at it and say, thank you, you're healthy for my body and eating it. Like that felt like torture to me. But it's, it, you need to do that because until, if you feel like there's certain things that aren't permissible, just like anything in life, you are creating a boundary between yourself and it. And so I think it's so important to be aware of your body's signals and needs and desires and best interests. And maybe in the moment you're on your period and like the, your body's best interest is to have chocolate in that moment. Yes. But if you withhold it, right, then when I, every time I withhold my, myself from having something... I remember Ed. Like I remember the eating disorder. Mm. I was like, "Oh shit. I just I just hung out with Ed for 2 seconds. I don't want to be there again." Yeah. And I'm going to have that chocolate. I'm going to eat it intuitively. I'm going to be in the moment. I'm going to thank it. Not going to eat. I'm not going to gorge myself, right? Cuz typically binge eating happens when we're feeling negatively about the food we're putting in our bodies and or we're starving ourselves and so therefore we have to binge. And so I think the intuitive eating piece is so crucial for anyone that's trying to work through an eating disorder because you just have to be aware that, like, again, going back to childhood, adults in your early life thought things were in your best interest that actually weren't in your best interest, interest at all, you know?
1: hmm uh, Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt, but that no. is- No. Um, let's go. Let's yeah, go. I, because for me, one of the problems that I had as far as my negative relationship with actual food- was that I basically am a natural vegetarian. I mean, I'm I'm pescatarian now. I eat some fish. Um okay. But for the most part, my diet is very plant-based. Um, and the thing was, I wanted to have a vegetarian diet when I was much younger. I hated meat. Um, but my my parents, God bless them, I mean, they're baby boomers. Like, you, yeah. you grew up on meat, potatoes, bread, <laughs> and a vegetable. Like, every, that, that was what you ate in America in yeah. the 50s and 60s. And so... They, I don't want to put the impression that that's what I ate every single day, but they, <laughs> they followed that old-fashioned food pyramid, square meal kind of prerogative, and yeah. I hated being made to eat meat. I just found it so disgusting from the time I was a child, and I don't mean to um, speak negatively about anyone who enjoys eating meat. That's not my point. I just want to put that out there, but <laughs> to me, I just I hated it. It was just yeah. counterintuitive to me. Yeah, and I was forced from a young age, because my parents were like, you have to eat your protein. Their hearts were in the right place. Yeah. But it, it also conjured this this um, really poor relationship between myself and what was on that plate in front of me, because I learned to just fear like, oh God, am I gonna have to eat a pork chop tonight? Am I going to have to eat a chicken wing? Like I didn't want to eat it. And um, yeah, and I think there's definitely something to be said for learning, uh, you know, I went from the, you know that where I would eat my meals because I was a kid and I obeyed and that's hard growing up. Yeah, and then like I said, you know, either pawning food off on friends or just being at school in a in a time when like I could skip a meal and just lie to my parents about it that's and say, nice. oh, I ate, you know, and and things like that. Um, and then after I got out of college and everything, because I think part of the reason why it faded out was because when I was going to college, I had my own choices in food, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but my really positive relationship with food didn't come for many years still. Um, it really started when I moved out of my parents' house and was really, truly on my own for the first time, because not only was I buying my own groceries, but I um, when I moved into New York City, that's where I lived after moving out of their house. um, Mm. I was also dating someone who would eventually become my spouse, but he took me to amazing restaurants. Mm. And I really learned to just love food because everything was new to me. Like I got to be, I felt like a child again, which was amazing because I was like, I'm trying all these foods that were just delicious and unctuous and all different spices and flavors and textures. Like, I mean, New York is the culinary capital of the world, let's face it. It It was such an amazing and happy, bright time for me, and I got to learn to enjoy food again. Yeah, And, you know, continuing on from there, it's like now I love cooking. I still love going out to eat. Um, Mm -hmm. And even after I did decide uh, as a full-grown adult to become pescatarian, um, that was in 2014, actually, when I really committed to that 100%. It's like I can function within those limitations and still not feel like I'm actually depriving myself of anything, which is fantastic. It's like I still have so much fun with spices and produce and just, you know, everything plant-based. It's it's a whole new realm for me really
0: oh (laughs) yes the journey i just like i was so there with you i was in new york at the restaurant i was at home cooking with you with your spices thank (laughs) you for taking us on that journey and (laughs) it's so beautiful to 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 show how like again you you essentially were taking the control back over your own life and feeling into your body of what it needed and now being your authentic self about what your body needs mm-hmm. and your body's going to reward you for that. Yeah. Right? Right? Like when you listen to it, it's a whole ecosystem in there. Yeah. And um yeah, wow. I think that like just be aware that like like you said going back to the adults, you run the very real risk of thinking things are the best interest for your body that actually aren't Mm -hmm. Um, by the way we've been raised. And so I think I would challenge anyone listening to this podcast to really start to listen to your body and what what it does after you eat something. Like if you get bloated after eating something, it usually means that there's a digestive issue or that your body doesn't actually love that thing. Right. (laughs) And that's another thing that I've had to kind of dance with because I don't, like when I'm bloated, I wanna love my body. I wanna like, you know, be like, oh, hug my tummy. And I, I think that's part of my healing from the, the whole eating disorder thing. But it's also an opportunity when I, when I notice that my body is inflamed, that's essentially what being bloated it is. It's inflammation and that's what causes disease. That's what yeah. leads to dis-ease and unhealth in our bodies you got to listen. And, um, I think the same needs to be done with exercise, you know, Mm -hmm. exercise with the best interests of your body and mind and heart, even if that means like much less exercise or maybe totally different forms of exercise. Um, I'd love to, you know, I, I think that what I used to do, I would lie to myself by telling myself that I love to run I, I really hate running. I like to, Me too. Oh my God, that's hilarious. That's so funny. I would run during my eating disorder a lot. I, I, I ran my body into the ground and it was basically self gaslighting, is what I was doing mm-hmm. because anytime you do something against your body, it backfires eventually.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh uh, wow. Think, and
1: you know, there's definitely, a, you know, as grown women now, I think you and I are both pretty keyed into like getting a good balance between not only the intuitive eating, but also exercising the right amount, like you said, because I never felt as in tune with my body as I did when I started doing yoga. Like that opened up a whole gateway for me because Mm -hmm. it really made me feel, uh, because prior to that I was very, I was into fitness um, and I liked to feel strong. Like Mm -hmm. feeling strong made me feel empowered. It made me feel like, yeah, my body is strong. I can lift these weights, I can do these things. Um, but yoga actually is what taught me to really enjoy and love my body because I was, wow, like I can get into these cool shapes. Like this is me. (laughs) I'm a pretzel. Exactly. And I think there's, you know, something to be said for like learning to love your body through the right kind of movement and the right balance of movement. Mm. And, you know, healing from an eating disorder is such a... It has to be a a very holistic, well-rounded approach. There is no Mm -hmm. one key or one angle to it. It has Mm -hmm. to be a very totalitarian effort, mind and body and soul.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm I'm glad we touched on the body piece. I think going back to the mind and soul, you know, people with eating disorders are struggling with anxiety and worry. That's really what it is. Oh, yeah. And it's because they feel out of control in a world where... (laughs) To be honest, even the universe can't be trusted. Like <laughs> yeah. especially in the day and age we're living in, I can only imagine what the youth of today are feeling because everything is out of control. Yeah. And so the 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 desire to, you know, have a certain image on social media also perpetuates this whole this whole theme. But um I think what it goes back to is that when we reincarnated <laughs> to be human, we uh we probably didn't really take into consideration safety like if we're coming to planet earth it's not the safest place to be right? No, I, I,
1: one of the funniest things I've heard about planet earth is that if aliens do fly past our planet they probably lock all the
0: doors and shut the windows real tight
1: and go super fast to get past earth
0: oh my god i love that i love that
1: it's like this is not a safe road guys. no like, this is down, not
0: safe getting out of this galaxy <laughs> no and to understand that like we're in an unsafe place that we're completely out of control of flying through earth at massive <laughs> or flying through the universe at massive speeds you know, when you have that realization, it's a little disheartening and it might cause a little bit of anxiety and worry. So just understand (laughs) that your worry in depth is like, is, is, is to be expected. And, um, and that I believe that dealing with worry is the best way that I, I deal with worry is to, try to get out of the static of my mind. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with worry?
1: Same, Um, it's either, like if I'm feeling really anxious, um, and I dealt with a lot of anxiety for personal reasons last year, not even talking about what was going on at a global scale, but for personal reasons, I was dealing with a huge relapse of anxiety and grief and depression, and I found my best escape through creativity. And some of that was actually Mm. cooking because I challenged myself to make a whole list of unique dinners so that, you know, because there was no going out to eat for a long time. Um, so food actually became not only a source of creativity, but also a release for me. It was like, I looked Mm. forward to cooking dinner because if I had pots on the stove and stuff in the oven and knives going, it was like <laughs> there was no space left in my head to worry about stuff because I was worrying about the task at hand in a positive <laughs> way. Don't burn anything. <laughs> <laughs> Don't chop a finger off. It was like that's what I needed to focus on in order to bring myself back to earth so oh, to speak no that's pun great.
0: no that's great i love that but I what love a full that. circle
1: really you know when you think yeah. about it it's like here's food being used as medicine in a big way
0: wow what a mind fuck <laughs> oh and and i think it's it's recognizing you know that like it's so crazy how the thing that caused you anguish at one point is now the healer, like you said. Yeah. So everything is a polarity and same with people, right? Like the, the the whole reason that we developed eating disorders was because we didn't trust people to have our best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. But believe it or not, it's possible for you to have relationships with people who take your best interests as part of their best interests and therefore to feel safe in your relationships. And it's possible mm-hmm for it to be safe for you to take in energy from life and there and for there to be no consequences in doing so and yeah. when I got to that realization I was like holy fuck I feel like even though the planet's going crazy and there's so much out of my control and yes there's many things that can cause me worry it is possible to not only be successful on this crazy planet but also to feel good enough doing it. Yeah. To thrive. <laughs> and to thrive. How to, thrive yeah. to thrive. And by being your true authentic self, regardless of the beatdowns that you might have gotten in the past and the triggers that come up, you keep putting yourself out there. And when that authenticity is there, that human connection is there and that support is there. And then it just becomes a beautiful vibrant ecosystem where you can go and make delicious foods and gosh, now I want to go to New York and go to a restaurant <laughs> while we're still allowed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh, that's another story for another day yes. but it is possible for you to control the conscious creation of a life that feels good absolutely
1: and if there's one thing that I wish I could tell my younger self and any young girl who's struggling in the way that you and I did it's that you know you are allowed to love yourself and take control of your life and I think mm. the biggest Part of trying to heal young women from something like this is the right approach has to be taken, and that has to be a part of it. You can't just stuff somebody with food and expect them to suddenly be okay. It's Mm-mm. it's like that love has to come from within your heart and your soul, and not just your stomach. Mm-hmm. So I, I I just wish I could tell the doctors that you know what I mean, but um yeah. You
0: can. You're doing it now. True. You're doing it now, girlfriend. Woo! We are here. where We're we're exactly where we need to be. That journey, despite being very traumatic and hard on our bodies, what is what allowed us to connect so deeply. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so beautiful. And just being able to be authentic about that. Like, we've all gone through some shit. Whether it's an eating disorder or, or abuse or um, addiction. Or they're all pretty much one and the same. Struggling, right? Yeah. Like, struggle is the reason why we can recognize that at a certain point that we're fucking done with that bullshit we're done struggling mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so let's realign and come here to do exactly what we're here to do which like you said is to thrive and be in full alignment and have fulfilling relationships and love our bodies and do light work yeah. like you said light working yeah yeah oh my gosh I had such a good time doing this. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Any any ending notes, any last things you want to tell our listeners?
1: Um, gosh. I mean, I think I already, like I said, it's just, I, I just want to, if any girl is listening or any young woman or adult woman is listening and, and they're struggling, similarly to how we did, whether it was an eating disorder or anxiety or depression or or just anything rooted in that loneliness and that lack of self-love, definitely reach within yourself and also reach outside yourself because you may not think that someone's going to reach back, but there's always going to be someone and you will always catch yourself as long as you believe it.
0: Yes, I love that call to action. And I want to go a step further to say, reach out to us. Yeah, I mean, social media is such a powerful platform and I love the fact that we can connect that way. And so if you want to send us, either of us a message, um, Jill, what's your Instagram handle? Do you feel comfortable sharing that or if um, not, it's fine.
1: I do have a private account, so I okay. can accept, I do accept messages, um, but I always screen requests for yeah for, for connectivity. Um but yeah if, if anyone wants to send me a message it's string bean just like the vegetable string yeah. bean jilly bean j I L L I E B E A N.
0: Yes and you can contact our little stringina uh Jill Rose on that way and then all of you know my Instagram Allie making vibes and you can reach out and um You know, you can pour your heart out. Um, That's what I'm here for. So uh, you're not alone. Again, I'm going to end this with what we started off as. And that is the concept that separation is a fucking illusion. You're not by yourself. And um, we're all in this together. And anything that I'm going through, you're going through. And if you're here, you're probably going through it. You came to listen to this for a reason. So feel free to reach out or maybe you know that there's someone in your life that you can reach out to to feel that support. It doesn't have to be us. Do that. Just know that you're not alone. (laughs) Much
1: love.
0: Much love. everyone. Bye.